You may have heard that Japan has a population problem. Too many people are getting older, and not enough people are being born or moving there. But it's not just a demographic problem. Many of these people who are dying happen to own land. But when they depart this earth, no one seems to know what happens to their property. In fact, no one knows who owns more than 10% of the nation's landmass. That's about 16,000 square miles, the equivalent of the size of Denmark. That creates a big economic headwind you may not have heard about. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer and editor at Bloomberg View in New York. So, Dan, you lived in Japan for several years and you visit there every so often. What can you tell us about the demographics there? I would draw a big distinction between the Tokyo metropolitan area and the rest of Japan. The Tokyo metropolitan area is as vibrant as ever. When you get into the provinces, you can start to see the demographic crunch and you start to see it in little ways. For example, In elevators, there are a second set of numbers much, much lower to the ground, which I assume are for old people hunched over. You also see in public bathrooms, which by the way are impeccable, you see a little seat wedged into the corner of the wall where you can put your baby if you need to use the restroom. And sometimes there's a little helpful sign above the exit to the restroom saying, Don't forget your baby if you put it in the thing on the wall. In other words, these young people are really crucial. Or in other words, don't forget your purse or belongings if you're old and you happen to go in there. And maybe don't forget your baby reminds you that you have something in there too. <laughs> Did that ever come up, Dan? No. <laughs> well, anyway, let's bring in our guest. Yoshi Nohara is a reporter covering the Japanese economy in Bloomberg's Tokyo Bureau. He recently wrote about the issue I mentioned in the introduction for the Benchmark website. So we're just rolling in the synergy today. He's joining us from Tokyo. Yoshi, thanks so much for talking with us on the Benchmark podcast. Hello from Tokyo. I'm glad to join this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me for this. Now, Yoshi, before a government panel put out a report on this topic, How familiar were you with it? You know, we're talking about landowners dying off and no one knowing who their property passed to. Well, to be honest, Scott, not much. Or more precisely put, I hadn't thought about it at all. And that says a lot about this problem. People not paying attention. And the problem has gotten this big before most of us knew. And can you tell us a little bit more about the size and scope and how this happened? Well, the size, it's an estimate, but it's considered that now the, the, uh, there's been a tremendous difficulty to track down ownership of the uh, many properties in Japan, which total to equivalent of the size of Kyushu, which is a pretty big island in Japan. And for global audience, it's as big as the nation Denmark, which Shows how big this problem is, and there's also an estimate how big it's expected to be. It's going to be as big as Hokkaido, which is the second biggest island in Japan. And Yoshi, does this reflect idiosyncrasies in Japanese property law 
or is this a broader narrative about what happens when parts of a country hollow out and people just die without an influx to support the population? Well, I think both the short answer is. But for de- there's definitely a legal, some legal issues. But at the same time, when you think about the root problem for this is that it comes down to this. What happens when a property becomes a burden rather than an asset? In other words, you do everything you need to do to maintain property when you know that piece of property you're inheriting inheriting from your family is worth an investment. But you don't want to do anything about it if you know that that's just not going to be developed or nobody is willing to invest money in it. So it's an economic issue. There's a less and less incentive to invest in land, especially in regional areas. So that's the gist of the issue. So that's why it's so hard to grasp the scope of this issue. But we do know that it's happening, especially in rural areas. So are you saying that they can't even sell this land, even if it went to its rightful owner or was you know, passed down properly, that even the heirs would not be able to sell it or develop it in a lot of places? Well, the question is that, Scott, when you think about this, think about this. So the issue is that uh, it's not that the people don't want to sell properties. It's an issue that uh, the government or any other third entities are having a difficulty to track down who owns these properties. So even if the government wants to buy a piece of land because they want to create a park or something, they can't do so because, well, they don't know who owns the property. And Japan has eminent domain, um, so the government can use it, but it just it takes more manpower to do that. And it's hard when you don't know who owns the property, and it takes manpower to track down ownership. And it's an increasing burden for a lot of municipalities because it's not just the residents who are getting old and you know, there's been a population uh, decline in regional Japan. It's also government staff. They're being stretched uh, a lot more. So that's why they find it difficult to generate enough manpower to track down the ownership and do something about it. Yoshi, a powerful political theme in the United States is a sense, justified or not, that in rural areas, they've just been abandoned. And all the intellectual energy and all the capital and all the lawmaking expertise is focused on the big metropolitan areas. And rural areas have just been abandoned. Does the phenomenon we're talking about here today underscore a similar growing sentiment in politics outside Japan's big cities? Well, I would say, Dan, speaking of political sentiment, it's a fact that uh, Tokyo is getting everything, including people, young people, and intellectual knowledge and the businesses. Most of the business headquarters are located in Tokyo. But here's an issue that in Tokyo, the 
you know, it's so hard to be able to afford kids, which is surprising because this is a bustling place. So in in many cases, including myself, young people move from the regions where the birth rate is much higher. So there's a political push that they want to stop inflow to big cities like Tokyo and then generate some kind of incentive for young people to stay in their hometowns so that they can ease this deep population problem we are facing. So I think that's kind of an interesting contrast to what you just described about the U.S. But that said, I'm not sure if that's making much progress in Japan, because despite uh, many initiatives, all the things that uh, policymakers say about, yes, let's do something about regional haul-out so that younger people will stay over there and start families, but it's not uh, stopping young people from moving to Tokyo. Well, if you go back to our original topic that these land ownership registrations are not being updated. If that problem were somehow solved, would that be a way to get young people to stay in the regions? If you could update the registrations and maybe find a way to start developing the land and add more amenities so they're not all concentrated in Tokyo? Well, that could be. But I guess, once again, underlining problem here is that young people come to Tokyo because they're looking for opportunities. There are many prestigious universities are located in Tokyo, and there are far more career opportunities in Tokyo. So I think that government can ease regulations and do something about it, but it comes down to this point, whether you can create enough economic incentives for young people to stay in rural areas, because... Some people, I'm sure, including myself, have memories about their hometowns, but they leave because there's not many jobs. It comes down to it. So without tackling that economic issue, just tinkling the regulations wouldn't do much, in my opinion, Scott. And Yoshi, what impact is this going to have on infrastructure spending? in provincial Japan. And I ask the question in the context of, I always marvel at how well-maintained, for example, the rail network and rail stations are, even well outside Tokyo. Then I come back to the US, I ride Amtrak, and I want to kill myself. That's exactly what I'm concerned about. And there are some signs or media reports I hear about Fewer, fewer people live in rural areas and train lines are being abandoned or not being sustainable economically because you don't have enough people. So that's a concern. But I can say that it may not happening as fast as you expect. Because just last week, I just traveled back to my hometown in Western Japan. It's called Yamaguchi Prefecture. And I just took a local train, the very same train line that I used to take as a high school student. And I was still punctual. It came on time and took me and my kids and my wife to where we need to go at the exact scheduled time. So, you know, it's still 
a functional, but I can say that it may reach to a point that you don't have enough people to keep going like that. So that's a big concern that I have. And um, it may happen in visible way before most of us notice, meaning that some of the you know, roles maybe are being abandoned and not being updated. And all of a sudden, we may realize that after some kind of accident happens. But definitely, it's not something that I want to see. Japan's very famous for the trains running exactly on time. So if that ever changed in any way, it would be definitely something to mark in Japanese society. But let me ask about another angle to this issue. Japan could solve its population issues pretty quickly if it became more open to immigrants. And yet it's a very famously closed society. And Dan likes to talk about how They'd rather put more robots in than get workers from abroad. Yoshi, is this going to happen? Would this ever force the immigration issue open, or is that just a closed question? Well, the easy answer about robots is that uh, there's no doubt that a lot of Japanese people have cultural affection with robots because of animation characters such as Astro Boy. But when it comes to immigration, that's a tricky question. And I think I have to say that uh, I am speaking about this topic as a person who lives in Tokyo, where most people are exposed to foreign cultures and uh, many you know, visitors from abroad. And most policymakers do talk about immigration, if not uh, on the record, but definitely they can see the potential to ease the Japan's demographic problem by bringing in more people from abroad. But it just, uh, I would say it's a different story for regions outside big cities like Tokyo because people are just not used to it. And they just don't know. And that always brings up fear. And, and that's why it's getting tricky for uh, policymakers to present as a realistic, immediate approach to um, solve this issue. But you never know. You know, one thing I can say is that I was surprised uh, how the uh, many tourists from abroad uh, visiting uh, rural areas in Japan these days. Uh, back in December, I took a family trip to Izu, which is like a couple of hours west of Tokyo. And on pretty much every train we hopped on, we just saw many tourists from China or other Asian countries or European countries or the U.S. So at least those people are visiting those places and having some kind of interaction with local people. So that may change in a gradual way the people's attitude about having neighbors from other countries. You know, Yoshi, the more we talk about this issue and the more one looks at news from Japan across economics, politics, culture, it seems like the dominant, the overriding factor in pretty much anything happening in Japan now is demographics and the fact that it is simply running out of people. Well, my answer is that, uh, yes, and I'm surprised that 
how wide the demographic issue is. Every time I tackle a story, I just realize that it's pretty much behind all the major themes that I think are key to the Japanese economy. But I wouldn't say that if that means that all the negative implications, because there are some discussions going that maybe this economic headwind caused by demographic crisis may be a good thing because it can, number one, cause companies or policymakers to think hard about innovations and try to adapt and change. And that can be a model for many other nations because this is just not only Japan, but I'm sure that the Chinese population is getting older and their demographic crisis will be much bigger than Japan's if it's coming maybe in in one or two decades later. And then I know that many developed nations are having this kind of issue. But getting back to your question, yes, I'm surprised every time I write about economic stories in Japan, most of them have demographic elements as a background. All right. Well, it's not the first time we've talked about these issues on Benchmark and probably won't be the last either. Yoshi Nohara, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as wherever you enjoy podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and Stitcher. While you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And you can let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. And Yoshi, your Twitter handle is... I'm at the at the Y-Nohara one. I'll spell Y-N-O-H-A-R-A one. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges, and the head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.